0: Okay, so I'm Brandon Schumann, uh, the sub for Tim Dunn. I'll be here the next two weeks, uh, family health permitting. Uh, Eli's got the croup, so he's, he's a little better, but... Did you guys sleep last night? One of us did, um, and the other one's not here with uh, <laughs> taking care of him. So um, there's all sorts of different ways to be faithful so uh, a few few months ago a few weeks ago uh, I had the opportunity to talk about Christian worldview with creation and was going to go through creation fall and redemption and had to stop with creation um, because uh, family got sick again and so Tim stepped back in and told I told Tim that I'd be willing to finish up that series uh, whenever whenever he was out again so this is this is the opportunity so um what the plan is is to go through all of creation, fall and redemption, Genesis to revelation, in one day. so we'll see how that goes. So I hope you hope you uh, can drink water from a fire hydrant because that's kind of how it'll be today. Uh, last time we talked about creation, and this is just going to be. Uh, review, and we'll be skipping big themes from from what we discussed uh, a few weeks ago with that. So, with creation, among the things that we looked at, we said, okay, God created out of nothing. He didn't uh, start with pre-existing matter and then, and then say, okay, here's my world that I've made from this pre-existing stuff. He just spoke it into existence, and that was kind of the first phase of creation, Genesis 1-1. Then God gave form to that creation. Uh, Genesis 1-2, the earth was formless and void, and so God starts giving shape and direction um, and structure to, to his creation. That's kind of told in the Genesis account of the, of the, first, of the first week of creation. Um, at the end of God's week of creating, he said that it was very good, and so God's creation is good, it was flawless, John, in the Gospel of John, it starts out and says, God created everything. There was nothing that has been that made that was not made through him. So God made everything. So there's nothing outside the scope of God's creation. Colossians gives us a little bit more insight into what God's creation is like. Not only did God create the physical world, which is typically what we think of when we just automatically think of creation, uh, such as the national parks and nature and all of those things, but God also created the spiritual world as well. So he created both the physical and the spiritual world. And Colossians also tells us that God is continually creating uh, through sustaining the world as well. So God's act of creation continues through that act of sustaining Furthermore, Psalm 19 uh, is one of my favorite psalms. We're not going to read it here at length. We did last time. But it says that God created the laws of nature. Um, and so things like gravity, uh, uh, just different forces in the universe, uh, what holds and binds all things together, the reason gravity and things like that work, the reason there's laws of nature is because God put them there. He's the, he wrote the constitution of n- nature uh, or creation, so to speak. And then God also wrote uh, the moral law. So the moral law and the natural law are both given by the same lawgiver or uh, law creator, um, author. Um, And so uh, as human beings, we're kind of in this unique position to where uh, the laws of nature, we don't have much of a choice on if we're going to say, gravity, I don't want you to work right now. If we build an airplane, we have to design it according to the the universe and the world that God made and account for that. And as we do that, airplanes work. We don't fall out of the sky. But God, uh, with the moral law, gave us a choice to where we can choose to participate in that moral law or not. We'll still face consequences either way, but um, uh, we have an option on that one. And uh, the Bible, as, as I read it, says it's much better for you to... Follow God's moral law than to not to follow God's moral law. So, kind of in conclusion, with just that scope of creation, um, a couple of takeaways is there's no part or aspect of human life that God does not have dominion over or that He doesn't care about. So, God doesn't just care about what you do on Sunday mornings. Uh, God doesn't just care about if you read the Bible or you do nice things. But God cares about everything that you do. He cares about the way you treat your family. He cares about the way you work. He cares about uh, what you do with your hobbies and things like that. Um, So every aspect of human life is under His dominion. And consequently, um, everything that we do say, think, or feel, no matter how epic or awesome it may appear to be or how mundane we may view it or common, has spiritual value. Uh, So everything every human activity is infused with spiritual meaning and value. And the more we can get our thinking straight and to see that, uh, the more we can live in line with God's purposes and, and not be discouraged by just the humdrum everyday activities of life because God cares about everything. So that kind of touches on the scope of creation. Um, uh, one of the most interesting aspects of creation uh, is man because man's made in God's image, and that means a lot of things. But among those things that we, we focused on a few few weeks back was man is a moral being. Man is given free will. Uh, God's a moral being. God also wants us to live morally, be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. God gives us a free will. He gives us a choice. Uh, we're not robots or um, Automatically going to do whatever God wants us to do just because uh, He wants us to do it, but He gives us a free will and a choice to behave and cooperate um, in in His plan. And then another aspect of uh, being made in God's image, and this one is I think really pertinent for today, is that we are creative beings as well. As God, uh, I mean, one of the first things you know about God in reading the Bible, if you just read it cover to cover, is that He's the Creator. And uh, not surprisingly, he's also given us uh, creative aspects as well. And he's also given us a choice, in, uh, or he's given us uh, a purpose in what to do with our creation um, and how to use that creative will. And so, uh, if you wouldn't mind opening your books or Bibles, opening your good books, to Genesis 1, 28. <clears throat> We'll be coming back to this later. But Genesis one twenty eight, which is known as uh, the creation mandate, or kind of how we'll describe it today, the original commission. Genesis one twenty eight. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, "'Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. "'Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth.'" So God gives man a responsibility, gives him a task. Here's what I want you to do with this creation. Uh, be fruitful and multiply. Uh, have kids. Expand your uh, species. Be fruitful. Be, uh, take the, the raw materials of God's creation and use those for his glory. Um, and really what all of this comes, a lot of, a lot of what this comes down to is that we are to be co-creators with God. Um, which is a very divine task and really awesome and incredible if you think about it. Because God's saying, I want you, I've given you this uh, this primitive earth, this primitive creation, and I want you to take the next, be a part of this, uh, the development of this earth. And so as God created everything out of nothing, as God gave form to it, he says, okay, now I want you to go develop it um, and build upon it. Um, and so Genesis 1 begins in a garden. Revelation ends in a city. And so there's uh, this sense of developing and building that God has for us. And the things that we are to do with that, uh, this development of civilization and culture and things like that, uh, as we are creative, I mean, we're to innovate, we're to build, we're to decorate, we're to design, cultivate, preserve, do all of these things with God's creation um, and that 's a lot of what our a lot of what uh, history has been about uh, humanity has done those things, but as we 'll see later we 've done that uh, not in full accordance with god 's will we haven 't done that for his glory we 've done that a lot of times to for sin and and evil but we 've still that imprint that impulse of creativity is still there, and uh, we're not uh, all living around in, in a garden right now. I mean, we're inside a building with air conditioning and, and things like that. So um, so we're to be creative in developing God's uh, creation and improving, improving upon it. Um, not that it wasn't perfect to begin with, but God gives us this role to, uh, to be involved with, with his plan. He doesn't want it to just stay in this, this garden primitive state. Um, also, uh, we're to have community with each other and with God. I mean, that's, that's part of what this uh, whole creative uh, idea is, is that when God created us, He wanted us to have fellowship with Him and and with each other. And as we go out and build and develop um, upon God's creation with the authority that He's given us, we're to do it for His glory and do it in his strength and in cooperation with him. We're not supposed to just go go off and take the ball and call our own plays and do, do things outside of his will. And so um, a takeaway kind of from being made in God's image with uh, uh, the aspect of man being uh, a part of creation is that God has specifically created and designed each of us uh, with unique gifts, talents, opportunities, uh, vision uh, to perform and accomplish uh, in His strength uh, various tasks and serve in certain roles uh, that both fulfill us, they bring great fulfillment to us when we're cooperating and operating in God's design, um, but they also bring awesome recognition to God. And so, uh, so God's given us this opportunity. He's designed us uh, in such a way, uh, each of us, uh, to to be a part of his creative plan in a really unique, special way that other people uh, can't necessarily fulfill. And so God has a specific role for each of us. Um, everybody's made, uh, everyone's created with a specific purpose, with a specific design, um, and with different talents and, and abilities. And God wants us to use those uh, to be a part of his community, his kingdom, and build all of those things up. Um, so that's kind of the two-minute version of two weeks' worth of Sunday school. Uh, so uh, today, um, we're going to step from creation using that as, the, as kind of our foundation and, and God's original plan, and then c- cover the rest of the Bible, Genesis 3 through end of Revelation, um, with what's happened since the creation, and that's fall and redemption as being the other two big themes of creation, uh, the themes of a Christian worldview. So, um, at the fall, um, man sinned. Uh, We were told not to eat from the tree, and that's exactly what we did. And God said, the day you eat of it, you'll surely die. So, what does it mean to be, what does it mean, what did God mean when he said, you'll die when you eat of that tree? What are some of the things that that, the implications and the consequences of Okay, man's physically going to die sometime, and that happens. Fellowship, relationship with God. Yeah, our fellowship, our relationship with God is severed. Um, uh, And separation is literally what death is. When we physically die, our soul, our spirit, um, the spiritual aspect of us um, is separated from our physical body, and we no longer. Have an earth suit that operates in the world, so we're separated from our body. And in a spiritual sense, when we sin and we spiritually die, we're separated from God. Any other things that you can think of? Like there's like a interpersonal death, uh, just in relationships between two people. Okay. See that in Adam and Eve. Yeah, you definitely see that in Adam and Eve. I mean, what do they? What does Adam do when uh, when he sins? At yeah, finger points, well, it's my wife's fault, um, or which ultimately is saying it's it's your fault, God. Um, and uh, this is a sidetrack, uh, but in Paradise Lost, which is not necessarily biblical, it's John Milton's uh, epic retelling of uh, the fall. Uh, there's a real interesting play that or moment when Adam and Eve both realize what they've done. Um, uh, Eve starts immediately criticizing Adam for, uh, for not protecting her and not, not looking out for her best interest. And, and then Adam says, I just ate this apple so I could die with you, and this is what I get. And so they really start arguing back and forth, and it's really pretty comical um, and tragic uh, and uh, very reflective of kind of who we are uh, a lot of times when we sin. Uh, so, man loses relationship with God. Man loses fellowship um, with other people, uh, those closest to him. Man also loses, in a real sense, uh, a disconnection or a connection with himself. Because, as his purpose could only be fulfilled in carrying out that creation mandate to God's glory, in God's strength, in community and cooperation with God, and now he's separated from God, he can no longer have that. And that's going to bring a a ton of bitterness and frustration and heartache for him. And so we are all frustrated because we can't find lasting fulfillment in our design. God doesn't remove the design for Adam and Eve. He doesn't remove the design for man. He doesn't say, well, now that you've sinned, I don't want you to be a part of this creation. That's still in place. We're still to be to create to glorify God. The fall didn't change that. But the, the difference is we no longer are in fellowship and in community and cooperation with God. And we've gone on our own way. And that's going to bring a lot of bitterness and frustration and pain in our lives as we do that. So, Ecclesiastes, if you've ever read that, is what, how it's been described is it's a 12 chapter commentary on the state of man post fall. So it's just here's 12 chapters of the Bible commenting on what human life is like under the sun, apart from God, and how frustrating and unfulfilling and empty and chasing after the wind it really is. We can't change our heart's desires. That impulse, that creative impulse to be with God is still there. And yet we can't attain that on our own because of our sin and and the separation that we've had. So another element of the fall is that sin and evil are foreign to God's creation. Sin and evil have no place whatsoever in God's creation. There's something that's completely alien to what God intended life to be. When God created everything, He created it good. It was perfect. And when we chose to sin, we added this new uh, evil, cancerous element into creation itself. And it's interesting. I mean, Satan, Satan's there in the garden, but he's not... Um, He's not. He has no dominion. He has no power. And, and what he does is he goes to Adam and Eve and he gets them and invites them to sin and tempts them to sin and disobey God. And what ends up happening on that is when Adam and Eve chose to sin, what they've done is they've taken, I guess, the keys of creation, because they're, they were to be the stewards of creation, develop and build and cultivate and all of those things for God's glory... And they've got the keys. They're, they're the ones in charge, but responsible to God, accountable to God for what they do with it. And what they do is they take the keys of creation and they hand it over to Satan and give him that dominion. And in Lord of the Rings, uh, Return of the King, there's a really powerful image of what that looks like uh, with the kingdom of Rohan. There's this... Uh, uh, human kingdom. Uh, there's lots of different races in uh, Middle Earth. I'm not going to show you how much of a nerd I am by going into all of that, but there's this kingdom of man, and the first kingdom of man that you really come upon is this kingdom of, called Rohan, and there's a king there named Theoden who is responsible in charge of his kingdom, but what's happening is all sorts of monsters and orcs and goblins and things like that are just ransacking and terrorizing the village and destroying everything that's there, and the king's essentially doing nothing about it, and the reason the king's doing nothing about it is because he has become enchanted by, under the spell of an evil wizard who is operating far off away, and through his evil servants has this king under his spell and so the king's not lifting a finger to stop any and oppose any of this evil but just letting all of this stuff go on uh, underneath his reign and underneath his dominion. He's still king, he's still on the throne but he's powerless his mind is gone and this evil wizard is destroying his entire kingdom and essentially that's a very clear picture of what Uh, happened at the fall is we're the stewards of this creation this is uh, we were the ones that were given dominion we're supposed to do it for God but what we've done is we've come under the enchantment of Satan through sin and allowed him to to have dominion and rule and authority over God's creation now, Satan's dominion, rule, authority, and power, and all of that is not his own. It doesn't belong to him. God's the one that created it. Satan's usurped it. God will take it back someday. And God's in the process of taking it back right now and allowing us to be a part of that process, which is really exciting. But the dominion that Satan has is very palpable in our world today. Evil, evil... Rains and it doesn't take long to go and see it, and it it comes and knocks on our doorstep uh, more regularly than we'd like to admit. But in in that, Satan's reign is temporary, it's false, and it will not endure. God will reclaim what is rightfully his, and we can take great hope in that. And so, uh, as far as man's responsibility and man's role in the fall. We're the ones that brought this about. And we've been totally disconnected from God. We're fragmented and separated from each other instead of developing community. We're often very divisive, selfish. And we also have this sense of disconnect even within ourselves. Uh, and we ache. Inwardly, we all ache, no matter how well off we may have it in, and all other measures, we ache because we're separated from God and divorced from our true purpose. And inwardly, we all have this sense and we all have this awareness. So, a question—just uh, kind of throw out there. I mean, is God mean and wrong for, and cruel for separating us from our purpose and saying, "Okay, because you sin, uh, go be frustrated." Is that is that mean of God to do, or cruel of Him? It's something we chose. Something we chose. Yeah. So we've opted for that instead of life. We've chosen death instead of life. Yeah. Part of the consequences of free will. I think it also creates a bigger longing in us. Absolutely. God, by separating us and frustrating us from and preventing us from being able to attain all that we want for and hope for without Him, and by frustrating and thwarting those attempts, it creates that bigger longing to to actually live in fellowship and harmony with Him. Uh, One of the ways C.S. Lewis puts it is we are often content for mud pies at the sea when he... Yeah, in the slums, yeah. When God wants to give us a holiday at the sea. Thanks. Um, AJ's my resident C.S. Lewis expert. <laughs> Do you remember that quote exactly? You did a pretty good job. Thanks. <laughs> Aspect of the fall, can't remember. So, um, two. Uh, Two further elements of that that just kind of show that, that sense of longing and ache are two other illustrations of it. One is uh, an atheist philosopher by the name of Jean-Paul Sartre uh, or Sartre. Uh, anytime you say that and there's a French-speaking person in the room, they'll correct you no matter how you say it. Um, but Sartre is an atheistic philosopher um, from what, the last century. And to me, I think he's the most honest atheist philosopher that I've ever come upon And he says uh, that man is embarrassed that there is no God. That's how he says it. Man is embarrassed that there is no God. Because since there is no God, there is no purpose in life. And atheists, until Sartre, and he tries to call them out on it, say, it's great that we don't have God and we have all this moral freedom and we can be about what we want. And Sartre says, okay, that's great, we've got this freedom But we're condemned to that freedom because there is no higher anchor point to direct that freedom to say what's good. All of life is improv and absurd, and there is no meaning in life to judge between a good value and a bad value. All you can do is just make it up as you go along, and if you want to live really, quote-unquote, immorally and or you want to live really righteously, it's all up to you, but there is no final say in the end to judge what's better or worse. And furthermore, he says that man is, is worse than a paper cutter. Um, those little machines that slice paper. Because he says a paper cutter has a purpose. Um, its design is to cut paper, and if it isn't cutting paper well, and you're like, well, that's a poor design, and you redesign it, or you sharpen the blade, and then suddenly it's matched back up to its purpose. But man's worse off than a paper cutter because a paper cutter has a purpose, but man does not because there is no God to conceive of what a human nature or human purpose would be. And you just have to make it up on your own and all things are equally valid and absurd. And furthermore, man's worse than a paper cutter because a paper cutter has no consciousness, even if it is a sloppy paper cutter. It's not going to be like, man, I'm really messing up today. But human beings, no matter how Uh, great they may attempt to be or or try to deceive themselves to be recognized deep down unless they are connected with a God there is no purpose and all things are ultimately absurd. That's a really hard statement but I think Sartre gets it on that. Uh, Unfortunately he doesn't see that there is a God who, who does give purpose and is out there but he does recognize that in the absence of God There's the absence of all meaning and all other things. St. Augustine, in his confessions, says it this way, that our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. And in his confessions uh, is his life chasing one dream after another until finally God pins him down and he finds fulfillment in a relationship with God. So... From a human standpoint, the fall sucks. Uh, We're totally separated from all purpose and meaning, and life becomes very futile, no matter how much we try to believe otherwise. As far as the scope of the fall, like what are all the things the fall affected, uh, the fall didn't just affect man because man sinned, but the fall affected all of creation uh, it it touched on everything that man has dominion over. It, it The fall, I don't think, with the exception of maybe one element, affected heaven. Um, God chose to leave heaven to come to earth. So I think that's the one instance where the fall affected heaven. But apart from that, um, all things that man has had dominion over, the fall affected. And so there is no element that was left untouched by the fall. And we've talked about man and our sin nature and how our hearts have been disinclined towards God, but we still have that ache towards Him. But just looking out in nature, uh, you have terrible storms, you have the abnormalities of disease, there's death. We don't have harmony with the animals. Uh, We don't have community with each other in the way that we'd like to. We've lost our ability to remember C.S. Lewis quotes. So, the fall affects everything. The, um, the fall of Satan also was another fall that did affect heaven. I would yes. And would have happened prior to the fall of man, I guess. Yes. So. Yeah, the fall of Satan, which precludes all of what we're talking about today, definitely affected heaven and later affects earth as well. Um an important thing to remember, though, that in the fact that the fall does touch all things and tarnishes all things, is that God's goodness, even though all of God's goodness in creation is blighted and sometimes obscured and hard to see, it is not erased. Just let that sink in for a minute. Even though all of creation, elements of it are out of tune, God's goodness is not... Eliminated. There's still a lot of tremendous beauty in creation. There's still uh, fingerprints of God's design. Even though we don't always get along, there is fragmented community. Romans 1 still holds true. You can go out in creation and there's enough evidence there to see a creator. The goodness is not erased. Even though it's distorted, our ability to see it is is largely dimmed. Our thinking has become more muddled. But the goodness still, still is there. And furthermore, man still carries out that creation mandate of being fruitful and multiplying. We still have developed civilization. We've still developed learning. We've still developed new forms of math and developed science. We've created really beautiful art. And lots of luxuries and technology that just go on and on and on. We've still done all of those things, but often under a sinful bent and even more often under a guise of pride and not in cooperation with God's strength, not in cooperation with His presence or for His glory. We've attributed much of what we've done all on ourselves and, I don't know, regulated God to the corners. And so all of those things are still still in place. And if you would flip to Romans chapter 8... Romans chapter 8 in a lot of ways is kind of the high point of the Bible as far as theology goes and just tying a lot of things together. But we're going to look at Romans eight, nineteen through 20. For the earnest expectation of creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons of God. So, creation's eagerly awaiting for these sons of God to be revealed. For creation was subject to futility. So, it's subject to Ecclesiastes, subject to the fall, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption and to the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. So, all of creation is waiting for that moment of redemption. (coughs) All of creation is waiting for that moment when God makes all things right. Which is really powerful that creation is just like, is it now? Is the moment now? When's the moment coming? When's the moment coming? It's it's waiting in anticipation uh, under this condition of the fall for its redemption. As are we. So, the third aspect of this biblical worldview with creation fall and redemption is redemption and we'll talk about man's place in redemption and then we'll talk about the scope of redemption as well So redemption we can have redemption through faith in Jesus Christ through faith in Jesus Christ we can have new life uh, 2 Corinthians 5:17 says that we are a new creation. That's not a mistaken word there. We are a new creation. God has chosen to redeem us and make us new. And we can have that through faith in Him. Belief plus nothing else makes us a new creation. Belief plus nothing else. Not belief plus works. Belief plus trying hard. Belief plus reading your Bible. Belief in Jesus Christ as your Savior... Plus, nothing else makes you a new creation. And that alone, through God's grace, saves us from hell to heaven. Justification is an unearned gift. All we have to do to accept it is believe in Him. And Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 communicate that really clearly. It is by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves, so that no one can boast can't say, look what I did. did." You cannot save yourself. So putting that as just a a touchstone, that it's faith alone that saves you and redeems us. There still are a lot of things God wants us to do. God doesn't just say, hey, believe. Okay, cool, that's it. Now go back to sinning again. Uh, To enjoy the benefits of salvation in this life, uh, we need to live in humble obedience to God. So, to enjoy the benefits of salvation in this life, we need to live in humble obedience to God. A lot of what that means is recognize who He is. God's the. This is God's show, not mine. And choose to live in His way. When God says, tells you and communicates to us, primarily through His Word, here's what I want you to be about. And through prayer and through the guidance of the Holy Spirit choose to follow His direction and His leading. And as we do that, we'll begin to experience a lot of what heaven will be like now in our own lives. And so what redemption does for us is it restores our spiritual life. It restores our connection with God. As that was lost at the fall, as we were separated with God, and we're now a new creation and we're alive again, we're reborn, we are now... Uh, have that connection with God it also restores our fellowship with each other in community with other people and if you think about the two greatest commandments love God, love others both of those speak to creation or redemption solving those dilemmas that we've had through, the, through sin and finally, as it pertains to man, um, creation restores our sense of purpose. It gives us, we're now connected back with God and we don't have to do things on our own. We don't have to build slum pies or sand castles that are going to get knocked down by, by life. But we can build eternal things and be a part of what God wants us to be a part and, and step into and participate in in God's God's ultimate design. And Ephesians 2.10, in a way, also speaks to that. We just talked about Ephesians 2.8 and 9. But Ephesians 2.10 is another really powerful verse that shows us how, how much meaning we can have in life and how much purpose we can have in life. For we are His workmanship, we are God's workmanship, Again, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So when did God create these works or have this vision of, hey, I'm going to create an A.J. Perea and here's all the awesome things I want A.J. Perea to be about and do. When did God think of that? Before he even made A.J. And before he made each one of you, God created all of these things And what's interesting is this passage, this verse comes right in line with a very redemptive verse of talking about salvation. And creation and redemption are the same work. If you don't get anything out of this, get that. God creates everything out of nothing. God creates good things out of nothing. And through redemption, God creates good out of even our own evil. So creation and redemption are the same thing. And God has all these awesome works, these awesome things He wants us to be about. He gives us choices on how we want to go about doing that. And we have lots of choices that we can do that are going to be God-honoring. But He's like, hey, here's all these cool things you can go out and do. Go be about them and go do those things. Flip over to Matthew 28. <laughs> When, um, when I first started studying this, and I was introduced to this in college through a Christian worldview class and in reading a book called Creation Regained. When I first started studying this, when I read, came upon this Matthew 28 passage in conjunction to, and connecting it back to all the things we've been talking about, it made the hair on the back of my neck stand up. I was really excited about it. I was like, wow, this is awesome. So Matthew 28, you've, you've all heard this before. This is the Great Commission... Matthew twenty eight eighteen, and Christ is telling His apostles before He leaves, His disciples before He leaves. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age." So God, as he goes back into heaven, before he goes back into heaven, he tells his disciples, go make disciples of all nations. Go tell everybody what you've seen. Don't just tell them how to get to heaven when they die, but go show them how to live. Go show them how to have fulfillment in their life. Go show them how they can have that connection and community and relationship with God, with each other, and Reconnect with their sense of purpose that God's created for them. Through words, through your actions, go go show them how to be good employers. Go show them how to be good employees, faithful husbands and wives and fathers. Go show them all those things. That's, that's the, the essence of discipleship. And what was so exciting about this to me is it parallels uh, the original commission or the creation mandate in Genesis 128 so so beautifully. Because in the creation mandate of Genesis one twenty eight, God says, okay, I've made man, so man is a created being. And then God allows man, and says, okay, I've got this divine task of creating that I want you to be about. And I want you to continue to cooperate with me in this creative process. And so man is a created being that's sharing in this divine activity of creation with God in that original commission. So we're part of creation and we're also co-creators with God, which is really awesome. And then in Matthew 28, you have the parallel of that where God's about this work of redemption and restoring His creation And what God tells tells the disciples and us is, hey, you are redeemed beings and I want you to share and cooperate in this work of redemption. And so the two most divine actions that God's about, creating and redeeming, God shares in those divine actions with us and allows us to cooperate in them which is just really awesome, if you think about it. That we can, we can be a part of what God's about. We're not, I don't know, left playing tic-tac-toe and things that are un, unimportant. <laughs> he allows us to be about the things that He wants us to be about. And so we're co-creators with God, and we're co-redeemers with God. Our purpose is reconnected to life, as we follow Christ. And as we live as a follower of Christ, not just merely, I believe in Jesus or believed in Him years ago and so I'm going to heaven when I die, but our our sense of purpose is reconnected as we choose to follow in Him. And there's plenty of times uh, that I, who have believed in Jesus Christ, live very futilely, even doing quote-unquote Christian things because I'm trying to do them in my own strength and in my own way, and saying, hey God, watch this. And that usually happens right before a belly flop. But as we choose to cooperate with Him, and in His strength, and in His power, and with Him in focus and in mind, we have that sense of connection restored. And God invites us, and He expects us, to participate with Him in the most divine tasks of the entire cosmos. Which is cool that he would share that, because he doesn't need us to do those things, but he allows us to do that, and he expects us to do those things. He created us to do those things with him. As far as the scope of creation, all things will be made new. All things will be redeemed. Revelation ends on a happy note. And one of my favorite verses, again, just kind of talking about the scope of redemption, is John 3.16. For God so loved the world. Okay, The the word for world there is cosmos. That certainly includes us. That includes you as an individual. But we tend to think of God so loved me or humanity so much that He chose to die for so we could go to heaven when we die and have new life in Him. But the scope of that is so much more than humanity. God so loved the cosmos, the world, that He came to redeem it. And even though we're the firstborn... Christ is the firstborn of creation, and then we're, humanity's next. God will redeem this whole world, and we get to be a part of that. And God demonstrates just the scope of redemption in that. And what His sacrifice does, by God coming to earth and dying, is it reaffirms the original goodness of what that creation was. It reaffirms that creation itself is not completely broken, and that goodness is unredeemable. It speaks to God's ability to redeem. Romans eight twenty eight says that God works all things together for the good, including our evil and our sin and suffering. And if you think about the most unjust action ever occurred, ever to occur in the history of eternity, and that is Christ dying on the cross, an innocent God dying for a guilty man. God has used that most evil act to bring about the greatest good ever known. And if God can bring goodness out of that, He can bring goodness out of anything else that we may suffer or face or any other evil that's out there. Genesis fifty twenty 20 is uh, Joseph speaking to his brothers. And his brothers did them wrong and expect Joseph to repay them back. And Joseph says, Out of the you intended things for evil, but God has intended these things for good and has brought about salvation through this. And God will do that with every single evil action that we've done, that we've suffered, that's occurred in the world. God will redeem all of those. And that takes a lot of faith uh, in this life, because we don't see how all of those things are going to be resolved. There's a lot of tension out there, but God will restore all of those things. An interesting word that's used in that, uh, and we know that God works all things together for the good, there's two words for know in Greek. There's a book knowledge, which is, I, I know this, I've studied this, and then there's an experiential knowledge or a relational knowledge. Paul uses the book knowledge there. He doesn't say, we've felt, we've experienced that God's worked all things together for the good. Some things we have. Some things we haven't. But yet we know by faith that He will. So, all of the Bible speaks to these things, of just this element of creation and, and what God intended. And then you have this fall that, in a lot of ways, ruins and mars what God intends. But God is in the business of redeeming and He will redeem all of creation. He's redeemed us as we put our faith in Him, and is in the work of redeeming us as we continue to, to walk one step uh, of faith at a time. But God will redeem all things. And end on this note. These three themes can be said another way: of creation, uncreation, recreation. God created all things good in the beginning. Satan, in cooperation with us, attempted to uncreate it by introducing this evil, foreign element of sin. But God will recreate and restore and redeem all things. And He allows us to be a part of that. So let's pray. God, I thank You for this day. I thank You for Your Word, Your truth, Your plan, and Your vision Thank you that you allow us to be a part of what it is that you're up to. Thank you that you intended for us to be about that in the beginning. And I thank you for your incredible mercy and grace that you allow us to be a part of that even after we've fallen and even after we've messed up and sinned and gone gone out on our own. That you look to redeem us and restore us And not just to fix us, but to give us the opportunity to be about your work. God, apart from you, we can do nothing. And everything that we do, I pray that it would be for your glory, your recognition, your praise. And I thank you that as we do those things, we find so much fulfillment in life. It's in your Son's name that we pray. Amen. as a fire hydrant. <laughs> yeah, hello. Um, I'm the fire hydrant type.